Welcome. It's a pleasure to welcome you all here. You know, I'm still kind of stuck on last week, all that drone technology that we talked about. I think drones are pretty cool. You know, a lot of you probably have heard that uh, Amazon recently received approval from the FAA to start running their fleet of delivery drones. And you know, Amazon's already really good at telling what you want to order before you want to order it, you know? And just imagine they start integrating that technology into your drone, you know? In the future, maybe you order some silverware and here comes the drone, it lands and gives you the silverware and this says, I noticed you have guests. Perhaps you'd also be interested in curtains. <laughs> so, all kinds of uh, powerful technology coming, but remember, program for privacy, okay? <laughs> well, now it's time to turn the time over to someone who always programs his drones for privacy. It's Dr. John with the Technology Spotlight. <laughs> what would you get if Superman was leading the orchestra. A superconductor, right? We're not talking about Superman, but we are going to talk about superconductors tonight. Superconductors are amazing because they have zero resistance. Let's talk about what resistance is real quick. Have you ever been toasting your toast and kind of looked down into the toaster and seen that glowing color in there? Well, the way that those toasters work is they run electricity through a conductor that's not a very good conductor. It has a lot of resistance. And as the electricity goes through those wires, it makes the wires heat up. And that's because of their high resistance. So they're using the fact that they have resistance to make heat. And it actually uses up energy to make that heat. Well, it turns out that other wires that we use a lot, like copper, we use copper wires all over. They actually have much lower resistance, but they still have a little bit, which means that if you put a lot of electricity through them, they'll heat up as well. And that limitation makes it so there are a lot of things you cannot do with copper that you could do with a superconductor. Um, here's a picture of a superconductor, and I think they would make really great toys. <laughs> but you'll notice how there's kind of a mist coming off of the bottom down there. That's where the superconductor is. And they have to cool it super, super, super cold. Because most superconductors only work when they're really, really cold. Until today. <laughs> Our technology tonight is a room temperature superconductor. This is some research out of the University of Rochester. And they were able to make a superconductor that works at 58 degrees Fahrenheit. That's a brisk room, you know, but that's still room temperature. It's amazing, and it has really, really big implications. However, there is one little catch. Okay, it's kind of a big catch. They need pressure. In fact, they need a lot of pressure. <laughs> They're getting superconductivity at 58 degrees Fahrenheit, but at 2.5 million times atmospheric pressure. So super, 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 super high pressure. However, it's still a really big breakthrough because uh, it gives them new things to study to figure out why it's a superconductor so warm and how to make it so they can lower that pressure. And it has possibly really big implications. If you take a look at this uh, picture, this is their lab setup. And that little blue box is where the sample is that they were smashing. 
and uh, they were using lasers. So they put the sample under pressure and they shoot it with lasers for hours to break apart some of the bonds and make the actual superconductor material. They used carbon, sulfur, and hydrogen in this experiment. And uh, having the right amount uh, seems to be important, but getting it to do this property change under pressure is what made it so they got the amazing result that they did. How do you get 2.5 million times atmospheric pressure? You don't do that with your hands, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Unless you're Superman, right? <laughs> Superconductor. Okay, here's a picture of their little diamond press. They actually have two diamonds that press together super, super tightly and create that environment where they have the super high pressure. So they put their little teensy tiny sample in there and they press it like this and they shoot it with a laser <laughs> and then they measure its conductivity. And that's how they did this experiment. Now one of the problems is that nobody knows exactly why it was a superconductor in this environment. So the next step is to make some more tests and set up some experiments to try to analyze the chemical properties of what they made and then to take it to the next level and figure out how can we get it to get that superconducting property and then have it stay when we lower the pressure, for example. And if they can do the like maybe half that pressure, then they would have a viable commercial thing that they could start using. They have ideas on how even with a little teeny sample like that, they could make super accurate sensors that could measure, measure electromagnetic waves better than uh, what we have today at least at that size. And so there, there's applications. But superconductors can do all kinds of amazing things. If we had cheap and uh, reliable superconductors, we could make transformers that were a lot smaller and more efficient, and we could make motors that were way better, and uh, all kinds of things. We could have better energy storage with superconductors, or we could uh, we could make MRIs that were more efficient and smaller. We could make fusion energy possibly easier because we need a magnetic field to hold it. And the list goes on and on and on. All kinds of different things that uh, this technology could really, really change. So we're looking forward to it. If only they could make me super too. Well, well, <laughs> and that, that's all the tech we have the time for. <laughs> You guys all know Dr. John Super already. <laughs> all right, it's time to hear from Tobias for Breakthroughs in Science. Uh, have you ever been told, oh, looks like you're running a little fever? You ever just turn around and say, yeah, that's the way I like to roll. I like to keep my fevers running. You know, none of this walking stuff, okay? <laughs> you know, when your mom tells you that, what are they looking at? Like, it's that magical, magical machine that they do something with. Um, and it, what's it saying on there that tells your mom if you've got a fever? Does it say, yep, Junior has a fever. Put him in bed. Or Junior's pulling your leg. Uh, there's a number on there. I mean, it would be cool if... if you know, you could just say, hey, Amazon, what's Junior's temperature? <laughs> Junior is pulling your leg. Send him to school. You know, <laughs> it, it would be nice. But there, it, there's a number. We, we have to take that number and then determine whether or not it's hot, cold, okay? 
that's temperature. And being able to communicate temperature to people is so easy now. Um, but that ability is something that took a long time coming because way back in the day, I mean, how, how do you document temperature? How do you tell, hey, go out there and tell me what it's like outside. Go out, come back. How are you going to describe that? Well, it felt pretty good. Or, well, there was water that was frozen. Or, well, I went out there and there was sweat evaporating on my own. That's gross. But <laughs> you, you have to find something to give in relation to, you know, describing what it's like. Um, otherwise, it's just opinion. Well, it's nice. Well, it's really cold. Well, it's hot. Well, I wish it would be, you know. So especially, you know, that's kind of important. But what about being able to document temperature? What about doing experiments where you need to know what temperature something was? All of a sudden, being more precise and more detailed in your documentation of what temperature was gets even more important. So one of the first steps to doing this, to being able to identify changes in temperature, was identifying something that changed depending on the temperature. And one thing we found out was that certain liquids, or even the air, they expand or they take up less space depending on the heat of, of where it's in. So, and really it all comes down to the vibrations because what we know now is when you add, so if you have water and you add heat to it, the atoms, the molecules in that water, it's like they start getting, you know, good, 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 good vibration. Beach Boys. <laughs> but the vibrations, they start moving. It's like you're turning up the music and, whoa, it's dance music. You start moving and then you turn it down and you slow down. That's pretty much, I mean, okay, that's very not scientific. But heat makes these, these atoms start moving more, moving more, moving more, and they start taking up more space. So we discovered this characteristic about things like air. So one of the things they tried doing was capturing air in a glass container. And they had a glass container. Here's a picture of something sort of like what they had. And this is one that G Galileo actually constructed. It had water and air inside the glass container that's turned upside down. And when the air up in that top chamber would get hotter, it would expand. And it would push the water level down. And if it got cooler, it would pull back in and the water level would come up. Now that's an interesting thermometer, and it's not even a thermometer actually, they called it a thermoscope because there weren't any markings. So all you could do is just read that the, well the liquid level is high today or the liquid level is low today. And also as we would discover the atmospheric pressure of that contraption made changes not based on heat or cold. So it wasn't a very accurate way in that case as well. Well they took that because, and this is kind of what it actually looked like and they used these, so they would have these, it looks like a tea kettle pot with, you know, a big stick coming out. You know, that's, I'm going to take your temperature, see if you have a fever, <laughs> thunk, <laughs> put that big old thing on someone. And it's so big because to get detailed changes, they had to get that thing really long for the water to go up enough to really see changes that were going on. So they'd make it really skinny and tall so that they could really see some changes in what was going on. Now, as we start progressing, somebody thought, well, what if we melted one side closed? So now it's an enclosed glass chamber, and they have the water and the liquid inside. Okay, and then we, we have to jump to a guy named, and his name's just going to give it away, Daniel. Ooh, no, Daniel Fahrenheit, okay? And Daniel Fahrenheit looked at, was getting really into this. This is in the 1700s. And he realizes, wow, this huge glass thing that you take around, I shall measure the temperature. 
Well, people had already started doing something. They had started putting marks. But you can't just put, give me a pencil, I'll make some measurements. All right. You have to have, what does this mark mean? Okay, well, for example, you need something that you get the temperature to, and now I document this, this is the level it was at when, when what? When I had it in snow. This is snow temperature. Because you go take it, put it in snow, it goes to that, this point, so I mark it. That's snow temperature. Okay, I need something else. Uh, how about in the sunlight? This is, well, that's not very good because in the sun, it could be a hot day, a cold day, and be sunny. So that's not very good because that will be changing. It's not consistent. How about a horse? Hold it against the horse. Maybe, okay, this is horse level. Well, it's seven degrees above horse today. <laughs> but so we're trying to figure out something to relate the temperature to, something that's going to be consistently the same, hopefully, wherever you're measuring it and whenever you're measuring it. Okay, so everyone's starting to come up with what marks they're going to use. Okay, and Fahrenheit takes his thermometer. Okay, he's got some marks, and he has an idea of instead of using glass with water in it, what if I used alcohol? And it turns out he was able to get a smaller glass thermometer using alcohol because he didn't it didn't expand as much as the glass, so he could make it much smaller and see still intricate detail on the up or the down of the heat, okay? And he would take that a step further and come up with mercury, which is liquid at room temperature. And using mercury, he was able to get it even smaller. And also, the big deal with moving to mercury was it had a much higher boiling point. So, I mean, if you've seen the cartoons where they put, put the thermometer in their mouth, it goes up and you know, pops because they're so hot, it's making it boil. If, if, you're, if you get, it's so hot that whatever the substance is inside starts boiling, then it can explode, right? And mercury has a much higher boiling point than alcohol. So he comes up with the idea of using mercury. And now he wants to make his own scale system of what is zero, what is 30, what's 100, you know, how, how big are you going to make it? Well, he meets another scientist, an elderly gentleman who's an astronomer, and this astronomer had come up with a system. First he decided, okay, what's going to be my zero? And he thought, I need the coldest coal of cold. And so he took water, ice, and salt and made a brine. If you've ever made homemade ice cream, they use salt, water, and ice, and that you can start, you can actually get it colder than freezing point. You can get it below freezing, and that's what he did. He'd make a mixture, and he'd put his thermometer in it and get it as low as he could on his thermometer. As low as he could, low, 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 and he made that mark his zero. Okay, so zero is this brine coldness. It's below freezing. But then what's going to be your top? And a common one was boiling. So he got water to boil, and when he got it to boiling point, he put it in, and he marked, okay, that's my boiling point. All right, so he's got his bottom mark, his top mark. What's his numbering system? Gonna, well, he has the bottom one be zero, top one. It's a big decision. And he does 60. Now, historians think that he did 60 because he was an astronomer. And in his astronomy math work, he probably did a lot of work with 60s, 60 minutes in an hour, 60 seconds in a minute. How about 60 from zero to one, you know, to boiling? So 60 is boiling. So he now has a thermometer that goes from 0 to 60. 0 to 60, okay. Uh, 0 to 60, and 60 is boiling. Guess where that put um, the, the temperature for other common things, such as freezing point. So when something freezes, it put it at 7.5, and it put body temp, which was another common one, at 22.5. 
So Fahrenheit likes this scale, but there's some tweaks he decides to do with it before he releases it on his thermometer product. He doesn't like these fractions, these decimals, so he rounds the 7.528 and he rounds the 22.5 to 24, just a little rounding. And then, since he's using mercury, he can be a lot more accurate in the little incremental changes of the temperature, so he multiplies the whole thing by four. And when he multiplies the whole thing by four, that puts freezing at 32, and it puts body temp at what he, de he decided it was at 96. So body temp, we've now discovered it's more like 98. But the next step is one of the game changers for Fahrenheit's thermometer. Every thermometer he made, he would check those three points. So when he made his thermometer, when he's getting ready to mark it, he'd make the brine, put it in the brine. There's zero. He'd go and get ice, and the moment it starts melting, he'd make that freezing point. He'd say, honey, come here, lift your arm. Whoop, that's a true story. Um, and that's, that's 96. And he actually did that for every single one he made. And because his used mercury, which was the first ones to use mercury, they could be much smaller. And for the first time, there was a manufactured thermometer where they were consistently reliable. And that, what do you know, made him a huge success. And it became the most used thermometer around much of the world in places that were using the thermometer. And of course, as we know, the rest of the story, uh, Celsius would come along, which would do an idea of having zero be freezing and 100 be boiling point. And now most of the world uses that, except the United States and some other places, because we're special, okay? Um, but it just goes to show, when you have the best technology backing your way of doing it, you can be number one until Celsius comes along. So, thank you. <laughs> And now, introducing Roger Billings. <laughs> Am I the pumpkin? Happy Halloween. <laughs> Thank you. Isn't that an uplifting thing? It is, it is the week, isn't it? It is the week. The week of mm -hmm. Halloween. You know, um, in my family, we, we kind of celebrate this holiday. Uh -huh. uh, for a while, we thought, you know, it stands for everything dark and dungy and evil, and so we're not going to do it. And I thought, the heck with that. So we took it back. And that's, I told you about the Halloweenies. Uh -huh. So we took a hot dog, also known as a weenie, mm -hmm. and we got a little piece of metal cutter from the glass lab and we pushed it through and cut out a hole through the weenie. And we called it hollow weenies. <laughs> that's pretty clever. And then we put all kinds of different stuff in them. The first year, I took a long green bean and stuck it in there. Grandkids didn't like those <laughs> quite as much as I was hoping. <laughs> so we've been trying different things. This year, we're doing it again, of course, and I have a brand new thing we're going yeah. to try in there. But before I tell you about that, I just want to congratulate John on his 
Superman thing. That was good. Superconductor. <laughs> and Tobias on his temperatures. Temperatures. Uh, did, mm -hmm. did you hear him tell us about how we got Fahrenheit? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was this guy that had the wife that, you know, <laughs> if she did that for every thermometer they made. <laughs> She's a good sport. She is a very good sport. Yeah. yeah. And she launched Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. So he told us that Fahrenheit is what they used in this country. We still do. Mm -hmm. But that raises a big question. So if we use Fahrenheit in America, what do they use in Germany? Gesundheit. I don't know what they use in Germany. <laughs> Gesundheit? No, Gesundheit. Oh, Spikes are kind of doit. Okay, very good. <laughs> Celsius, of course. Okay. It's metric. All right, but coming back to the, to the Halloweenies. Okay. <laughs> this year, we're putting einkorn dough in the middle of the weenie. Einkorn wheat made into dough in the middle of the weenie. How fun. And, and that just tells me that we need to do an update on einkorn. Uh, we talked a little bit about it in the past, and a lot of you have shown a lot of interest. Um, we, we started out reading on the internet that einkorn wheat, which is the ancient wheat, some say it's been around on the earth for 10,000 years, at least 2,000, but 10,000 years. It's a very, very old wheat that when you make bread out of einkorn wheat and you eat it, that a lot of people have much fewer problems with reacting allergically to it. Modern wheats seem to make a lot of kids, and even for that matter, parents sick. And so according to this article I read on the internet, and by the way, if it's on the internet, it must be true, <laughs> right? I used to think that until I found I could put anything I want there. Exactly. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> But according to this, this report, it said that if you get the ancient einkorn wheat, that many people will do much better with it, and they won't have these allergic reactions and sicknesses and so forth. And I have some wonderful grandkids that can't eat wheat. If they do, they break out. They have a lot of problems. And so I ordered some of this einkorn flour over the internet, and when it came, we made some rolls and bread and things. We fed it to these kids carefully. You want to be real careful, but I wanted to see if there was a difference, and they did real well. And that's when I decided there was something about this einkorn wheat that could be very helpful to my family and maybe to a lot of other families. So then I decided to get more serious about it and buy more, and that's when I found out it's very hard to get. And one of the reasons it's very hard to get is there's not very much of it. And so I decided, well, I'm going to plant it and I'm going to, you know, grow my own and get this thing going. But they wouldn't sell me the seed. They would sell me the flour at three times the price of regular flour, which didn't seem right. But they wouldn't sell the seed. And then I realized that I had a little different idea about if there's something really good, Maybe there's something besides making money. Maybe we can make people healthy and happy. So we went on a quest, and eventually one of our team members found some einkorn wheat way out in a little tiny Amish community where they were willing to sell us. We brought it home, we planted it, we harvested it. We got enough to plant some more and some more, and we've been growing. Every year we plant more, 
I remember when we got up to 30 acres of wheat. It was an enormous field. And then last year, we planted 92 acres. And we had a really wonderful harvest, and we've talked about that. Well, just a couple weeks ago, we planted 300 acres. That's a big field. 300 acres is like, wow. It's a huge field. Mm -hmm. And I, I just want to talk a little bit about it. Now, i got to rewind, though, because last year when we got a harvest, and by the way, we plant the wheat in the fall. It just starts to grow when the freeze hits and kills it for the winter. But then early, early spring, the wheat pops back to life, and it grows up very fast, and we end up harvesting it in July. And this year we harvested our 92 acres in July. We got quite a bit of wheat. I talked to you at Science Live. Hey, we've got some. Anybody want to try it? We want to find out if you have the same kind of result that, that we did, if people that struggle with normal wheat can do okay with this. And so we had some people ask for it, and I sent out some samples, and they tried it. And I, all I asked was, please let me know how you do. And uh, some of them wrote back. I will say that all of the reports I got back were positive, that people uh, had good luck with it. In fact, uh, I have permission to share with you one of the reports that I thought was especially kind of fun. And uh, while I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Paget if she would read this uh, excerpts from this email that I received. And while she's reading it, I want to show you three photographs, red one, two, three, I call them. Okay, so you'll meet these wonderful people. And by the way, the very brilliant person that's in these photographs is a guy named Matthias. And he is an Acela student, and it's so wonderful for him to participate in this wonderful experiment. So, are we ready? We're not ready. Okay, ready, set, get ready. I'm get ready. set, go. Okay, so let's <laughs> read it. Here okay. we go. Dear Dr. Billings. That that would be me. <clears throat> yes. Wow. Six pounds of wheat, which is more than we thought you would send for a sample. But it has been the right amount to make four loaves of bread, four loaves of zucchini bread, a batch of cinnamon rolls, as well as some flatbread, Kenyan and chapata, which has given us more than two weeks of eating these wonderfully flavorful breads with our meals. Matthias had a great time making zucchini bread. And what a joy to find that digestion on all of us has done perfectly well. No bloating, no distress, no allergic reactions, some running nose or gut pains. We have stayed away from wheat and oats for some time for some time now. And we have missed these foods in our vegan diet that we have had for 28 years. Thank you so, so much. We really appreciate your concern for better food. Thank you. And so... They're pretty anxious to get some more wheat. And in fact, they ordered 100 pounds, I believe it was. Did you, did you get my photos for me? Okay, here we go. Let's check these out. See who these people are. Ready? On your mark? Get, get set. set. Go! <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, we have one person out sick tonight, and the <laughs> whole system <laughs> comes to a crashing halt and she's probably she's watching and thinking I should be there <laughs> I should be there just like to say how grateful we are to Christina who is normally here 
Hope she didn't go to the movie tonight. <laughs> no, I think she, I think she wouldn't. That's a lot of bread, though. Okay, a lot of so how are we doing, made. guys? Hmm. So we are having technical difficulties. <laughs> this is the B team. Okay. Well, what, can we stall for him a minute? I really You're want to ready. show you. We got him? Okay, check this out. There he there is. There he is, making the bread. Here. And look, he's a scientist because you can tell how he's holding that spatula <laughs> with his hand. Mm -hmm. That's how scientists like an artist, do it. too. Okay, let's look at the next one. Oh, now he's really getting into it. Mm -hmm. Okay, and can we check out the result, please? There it Yum. is. Tasty. 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 In fact, would you please show us? We just yeah. happen to have here. We just happen, we just happen to, have to have here some einkorn bread. Can you see that? Mmm. Can smell it. <laughs> okay, there it is. So, some of you notice it's a little bit darker than the normal uh -huh. bread. And it has a very interesting, healthy, delicious flavor. And you can really get used to this stuff pretty easy. So this wonderful family decided that this is going to be something that will fit well into their diet. And they said, OK, we'd like to buy 100 pounds. And then they wrote me again and said, OK, we'd like to buy 100 pounds. <laughs> and uh, they're still waiting. What in the world is going on? Well, it turns out that we ran into a surprise problem. We grew the anchor. We had to find the wheat. We had to plant it. We had to grow it. We had to harvest it. And then we got it all harvested, and we were ready to send it to everybody because we got quite a bit. But einkorn has another property that's different. When wheat grows, it's got a, a little shell around it, natural shell that's called the hole. And you have to take that hole off to be able to grind the wheat and make your flour. With normal wheat, that's pretty easy to do. They have a little thing that deholes it. In fact, it's a little wheat deholer. And we dropped the einkorn in it, and it came out and still had the hole. And we tried it again and again and again, and it still had the hole. And we found out that einkorn clings to its hole. Now, that's not all bad because when you plant wheat, you want to leave that hole on there. It helps hold the moisture, and so the seeds germinate and survive better. But when you're going to make bread, you want to get it off. And the hole cleaner couldn't get it off, and so we have to literally grind it off by hand. And to do 100 pounds would probably take 100 years. Mm -hmm. So we had a problem. When you have a problem like that, you've got to do something. I want to show you a photograph of einkorn wheat with the hole on. See if you can see what I'm talking about here. There it is. So that's what the wheat looks like when it comes out of the field. And you can see that kind of uh, almost like leaves around the, the wheat, which is the hole. And on einkorn, it sticks on very, very tight. Now I want to show you what it looks like when we get the hole off. Yeah, now it looks like wheat. And so the challenge is to go from one to the other. And we even tried two dehuller machines. And even though we tried two machines, we couldn't get it to come off. So then we made it a research project. 
And we actually found a machine that is made just for einkorn and the old ancient wheats like einkorn that also have this problem. This machine happens to be made over in Germany. And would you like to see it? Yes. Let, let's take a look at the einkorn wheat cleaner. The Dehulling and Finishing Machine DVC2 is the compact all-in-one solution for dehulling and separating your grain for spelt, emmer, and einkorn. In a single pass, the DVC2 performs three operations, dehulling, separation, aspiration. The quality of the final product always convinces our customers and their customers again and again. The raw material is gently dehulled. Husks, light parts, and other residue are aspirated. Dehulled and hulled grains are separated efficiently. The process separates the chaff from the grain. The DVC2 dehulls your grain following the rubbing principle which applies consistent improved technology. The maximum preservation of grain and nutrients is also proven by the excellent germination rate of the dehulled product. At the intake, a magnet kit with six block magnets at 450 millitesla each separates dangerous shards of metal from the product and ensures highest standards of safety. Inside the DVC2, various frequency converters control the drives, depending on the loads, thus saving energy. This enables infinitely variable and fully automated control and continuous operation. You always have the full picture and complete control of all parameters. The aspiration of husks and light parts nearly completely cleans the product from unwanted ingredients. An additionally available exhaust line transports them up to 20 meters away. The proven tumbling sieve by horn is also a part of the DVC2, reliably separating dehulled and hulled grains. Hulled grains are fed back to the intake again. So depending on the species and the weather, only a small fraction of less than 10% will remain on the tumbling sieve. And will be dehulled in the second pass. This is only one of many sophisticated detailed solutions. Self-cleaning balls between the tumbling sieve and the base continuously bounce against the underside of the sieve, supporting the self-cleaning process. A stable mounting and a 32 amp power connection is all the DVC2 needs. <clears throat> Just start the operation in automatic mode with the integrated load-dependent control. You can fine-tune the speeds of the dehuller, the feed auger, and the tumbling sieve via an easy-to-use touchscreen to make the best out of your product.
The most important wear parts of the DVC-2 are the sieves. They are available at various sieve openings and can be ordered online, just like the dehulling graters, which you can easily replace yourself using the provided tools. Decades of experience in building agricultural facilities and machines, <coughs> manufacturing and assembling our products in Bad Saulgau in Swabia, southern Germany, and the service and care by our people. All of this make the DVC-2 the all-in-one solution. Whew, now we know all about it. <laughs> you know what it is, you know how it works, you know how to repair it, <laughs> and you know where it comes from. But you know, it is kind of neat. It is. A machine just made to de-hull einkorn. And did you hear how it does it? It uses the rubbing method. And that's where we get into tonight's science. I happen to bring a sample of einkorn in the hole. Now, what I'd like to do is test the rubbing method to see if we can remove the wheat. Really? Could you hold your hand up, please? There you go. Is that enough? Mm -hmm. Okay. Would you please apply the rubbing method and de-hold this for us? Now watch how easy this is. Let's see if we can hurry and do 100 pounds for these Oh, people. yeah. Look at that. It just all comes out as the rubbing method. Oh, so it's working a little bit. Did you get one out? Mm -hmm. Okay, there's one. We got one. Hey. Okay, let's do another pass. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hard to get it out, isn't it? It is, but it's pretty. And yet when you do, look at this. Yeah, look, I have a Isn't few. that pretty? So this just like that, that picture. Pretty. It looks like wheat. And being able to find a machine like this was a pretty neat thing. And we contacted several of the people that are using it, and they said it works amazingly well. So we ordered one. One of those big things? One of those machines. One of those three-feature or three-function German de-hullers. I've got to go see that. Well, you can't because right now <laughs> it's stuck in customs. Oh, when it's unstuck, then I'll go see it. It's supposed to be released tomorrow, and then they'll yeah. ship it to us. Then we've got to install it, hook it up to electricity, and then, yes, we'll send you your 100 pounds. Yeah, they're, okay. and all these questions coming in. How can they would get probably it? be willing to de-hull it themselves. <laughs> but believe me, it's a lot harder than it seems. We just thought, this is going to be so slick. Hmm. It really, they really want is a challenge. But you know, there is something really significant about this. And that is, we're doing a project. We have a mission. We found something that has promise. It can make the world healthier, a better place. And it looks so easy. Let's just plant it. Let's harvest it. Let's <laughs> ship it to everybody. And lo and behold, we get stuck. Yep. And that's how I know this is a real project. <laughs> because it seems like this happens with every project. And that's why I got discouraged. Dr. Villains got I gave discouraged. Up. Oh. Yeah, I gave up. No science fair for me this year. <laughs> I don't but believe actually, you. I'm really excited about this machine, and we did order it, and it is coming through customs. In fact, let's get an update. Dr. John, where's the machine? So we're at the border, but it's located Wednesday. Wednesday. Today is Wednesday. You mean next Wednesday. Okay, so you're going to have to wait a few more days. But the exciting thing is when we do get it here, we're going to have a whole bunch of wheat to run through. How many pounds an hour does it do? 
one ton per hour, also wow. known as 2,000 pounds. So that ought to be quite a bit of bread, all right? Now, we, we just took more than half of all of our wheat we harvested and planted it back in the ground because we'd like to see if we can do better next year. We harvested 92 acres worth of wheat and we planted about 300 acres of wheat. So this is our biggest planting ever by far. And as soon as we planted it, we caused a drought. It, it stopped it raining. A good 20 day drought. It yeah, was yeah. one of the worst droughts we've had here in the Kansas City Midwest and it just quit raining. We planted and the rain stopped. If we unplant, it'll probably rain. You know, it's just interesting. But the fascinating thing is five days after we planted, it came up. Yeah. And I'm not sure if there was enough moisture in the soil or if, since the temperature was dropping, if there was enough dew in the morning. But lo and behold, it came up. Would you like to see the 300 acres? You know I would. I think we got a little <laughs> shot of the 300 new acres. This is next year's harvest for next July. Let's look at it and see what we got. Oh, there it is. Can you see all those little wheat plants? This might be a drone shot. And there it goes. Yep, we have a very high-speed operator, zoom, zoom. as you can tell. <laughs> zoom, zoom, zoom. I will admit that this time I did let the girls take the drone. And that's why it flew by so fast. <laughs> And they had a blast. I'd like to thank the ladies that did that drone shot for us. It was really pretty good, wasn't pretty fast. it? fast. Yeah, it was really <laughs> moving along there. But as you can see, we have this beautiful new field. This year, we, we did some other things. We, we got a new planter. Our old planter was 12 feet wide, and we found out that when it was the right time of the season, you have to wait until it's cool enough so that it won't be infected by the Spanish fly. And it has to be when the soil's dirt enough to run the planter that we had a hard time planting all 92 acres. So we got a wider planter that plants 30 feet all at once. And the neat thing about this planter is it puts it exactly the right depth in the ground, which turns out to be very helpful for a much bigger percent of the things to germinate. Uh, I think we have a, a video of the planting. Do you want to see the planting going by with the brand new So there's the tractor and he's pulling behind it the planter. It's got the seeds in it. And this is really kind of fun. The students that are in our agricultural program, by the way, are the guys that plant the wheat. Thank you guys. There it goes. 300 acres. Just because, you notice it's, it's got a green machine. I like the green ones, there's a lot of different flavors. But we also got a new harvester. Last year when we harvested the wheat, uh, some of it went through the machine and out the back, and we hate to waste it. So we uh, were very fortunate to get a new machine. Should we show them the new combine? We haven't even tried it yet. The, there it is. It's a biggie. Can you zoom on, on that a little bit? It's huge. So that machine actually has a controller that adjusts the head based on the 
ground going up and down, pulls the weed in, throws out the plant, saves the weed in that hopper. Of course, it still needs to be deholed, but we're excited next July to try this machine out and see what it can do. That's neat. Yeah, it that is, is pretty neat. neat. Okay. So what else do you want to see? What else do you have? That's pretty much it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what like else you anything. got for us, Tobias? We don't need premature, premature wheat. Let's see some premature wheat. I don't know what that is. There it is. Oh, that's premature. actually, from our last harvest, that's what it looks like when it's on the top of the plant and you, you break these off. Now, the einkorn wheat that we have, there's some different varieties of einkorn. The kind we have is called black einkorn. And we had our, our field growing up. Did you see how beautiful and green that was? And they're waving in the wind and... and Modern wheat only gets maybe a foot and a half tall. Einkorn gets four foot, five foot tall. So it's really, really tall and it waves in the wind, it's beautiful. We have this beautiful field of green wheat ripening. It's gonna turn brown when it gets ready to harvest and then all of a sudden, our fields start turning black. And the whole field started going black. We thought, oh, we've got some terrible fungus or something wrong with it because wheat isn't supposed to go black. So we contacted the the einkorn experts said, what have we done? What have we done? And they said, no, you have black einkorn. It does that. And it turned out to just be the plant, and we harvested, and it was fine. But black einkorn, uh, now that I've learned a little bit more about it, is my favorite kind of einkorn because it has so many wonderful properties. Uh, in fact, some researchers in Japan especially have said that it's, it's got things like anti-cancer properties, all those good things. So it's a wonderful thing, and I'm hoping that we can get everybody that wants this able to get all that they want. I'd like to see bakers baking bread with einkorn wheat because everybody knows about it and demands it. Uh, it's, it's really pretty good. Do you want to break a piece of that open for us? Or do you need me to do it? I need you to do it. As the very strong person you are, I'm sure you'll have. Okay, now watch this technique. Can I move this it? is how you want to do it. Should we zoom in on this? It Titus? already is zoomed okay, in. Okay, zoom right in. Here we go. Here we go. This is going to be the moment you've waited Can for. Can I break it? Yeah, I can. Just break it. We're breaking bread. Okay. How do you want now it? Now show everybody how nice and, and flavorful that it, is. They're wondering so, what it tastes like. Taste it. <laughs> I'm going to taste it for you so you can know. It actually has a wonderful taste. Uh, do you like it? I really do. Is this your favorite bread mm -hmm. or not? Yeah. It is. And you know what? I have this every day. It's a lot of work to de-haul it, <laughs> but I just really think it's wonderful, and I, I hope a lot of people will be able to get it. And, uh, this, this coming year, we're hoping to have almost a half million tons, I mean pounds, tons, Maybe. half million pounds of seed. And we hope that we can provide seed to a lot of people. Quite a few farmers have asked for seed this year until we pretty well let as much seed go as we dared because we want to have some of the wheat to, to provide to people. There's another thing that we've done with, with great success. You take the, the wheat and sprout it. So you put it in a sprouter where it's moist, let it sit a couple days, and it starts to grow and puts out these little sprouts. And then you grind that up and put it in the bread. And some people, like Doc Valerie Ann, the great 
einkorn bread maker uh, says it's really, really healthy for you. It's really good. By the way, einkorn cinnamon rolls. Oh, they're wonderful. They're to die for. So it's a real hearty bread. We're hoping yeah. to get this machine set up in the next few weeks. It'll take a little time because we've got a. <laughs> it runs on German voltage and cycles, so we have to put in <laughs> well, special equipment. But we couldn't find any equipment made in the U.S. yet to process this kind of wheat. So we'll get it set up, and then we're going to set up a website so people can get it. And um, anyone that would like to get into planting this next year would really encourage you to do that. You plant a little bit, the next year you can do more and more and more. Uh, we also have been studying how you can store this wheat in a plastized uh, container. It's, it's like a, a mylar bag or a plastic bag that is sealed airtight, but the, the mylar lets moisture go through over time, and so it kind of rots. So what they've done is they've put a very thin coating of aluminum atoms on the mylar, makes it look kind of shiny, but it also keeps the moisture from going into the wheat, and we think we can store the wheat for 20 to 25 years if it's stored in that kind of bag. So our idea is, and we've already got a machine and we're doing this, we want to store it in these uh, long-term storage bags. We're thinking we'll get about a gallon size, maybe put four of them in a box, so that people can put them under their steps or in their closet or the basement, wherever they have space. And of course, we want them to use it. We would like to suggest that people that are serious about this, you might try it first, but if you like it, you may want to get one of those little wheat grinders. And then you could store this, and if we ever get into time when it's hard to get all the food that you want for any reason, you can grind your own einkorn and, and maybe have some storage. And I think it's neat to be able to, to have food like that in storage. Even more important, if you get a nice store of the wheat during the harvest, then you've got it for the whole year. And I think it really is something people are going to like. I haven't been a real fierce bread eater. I eat a little bit, but boy, this stuff, I just love it. Ate it every day. And I'd like to let Dr. Monet talk for a little bit while I have some. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a real hearty flavor. It tastes like real, real bread. It's very good when you toast it and put honey on it. It's just very good. <laughs> Isn't Talking. It <laughs> it's delicious. Mm. It's very delicious. Mm. The body seems to like it. It's very flavorful. Okay. <laughs> I don't want this to become a bread commercial. No. <laughs> but, but you know, this I know you're is, making a lot of people want some. <laughs> but this is a lot of what science is about. Yeah. We have a problem. Bread is a very good food, it's very good for the human body. It can give us energy, it can give us vitamins, it can give us fiber, it can give us a lot of the things we need. By the way, we did have this tested. It does have good fiber, it does have good vitamins. So it's a wonderful source of food. And yet, a lot of people become quite sick when they eat it. Some a little bit, some more, some the other. Now, I still think there may be some people that don't do well with this. I'm not saying it's going to solve everybody's problem. The world's never that simple. But for a lot of people, I think this is going to let them enjoy bread again and have it be part of their diet. What you eat 
is so important to your health. We have our wonderful doctors in medicine that can cure many, many, many diseases. But the very best cure is always prevention. And if we eat good, healthy food, fruits, vegetables, nine corn wheat, and, and a nice balanced diet, we can prevent a lot of sickness. A good diet supercharges your immune system. And when bugs come along, it helps you fight them. And if you do get sick, it can be a much more mild case, which is nice. And you can avoid a lot of sickness by, by eating right. So everybody, eat right, exercise, get plenty of rest, and do a solace. <laughs> and you'll be smart and healthy. Mm -hmm. And really good attitudes. And really good attitudes. Okay, so we just have just a few minutes to do a quick scientific research study. Yeah. And the thing that uh, we'd like to study is what are you going to do for Halloweeny? <laughs> I'm still deciding. Still deciding. <laughs> yeah. I know that pumpkin thing, that, that a lot of the students really like that one, the and, intro. And that brings up that you should plan far ahead. Yeah, I don't do that very often. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. Well, actually, I hope everyone does have a wonderful holiday. And uh, uh, when, when I was growing up, uh, Halloween to me was the day when I would go trick-or-treating and gather up tons and tons and tons of sugar. <laughs> and then I would eat tons and tons and tons of sugar. My wonderful mother would try to set a, you know, a limit and she'd... But I always felt really happy while I was eating it. And then I felt really strange after. And so if you into that kind of thing, advice, use moderation. You know, a little treat is good. Too much treat is not so good. And sometimes a real extreme treat on a holiday like this is just probably not a good idea. Uh, I'd like to say that uh, the very best holidays are the ones where you make somebody happy. Mm -hmm. And if you really want to feel good about yourself, pick out somebody, a friend, a parent, a relative, anybody, and do something to really make it a special occasion for them. Okay, now I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> Does it involve me? <laughs> <laughs> Surprises are always wonderful. <laughs> I do happen to have a list of things I want for Halloween. <laughs> I didn't know that about you. Anyway, well, I want to thank everyone for joining us tonight. And I, I think it's fun to give you this little update on this project. Um, I will say that we are just opening up a, uh, a new dormitory program for students that want to get into agriculture. Um, this is for students that have graduated from Asalas, or at least in your senior year. Uh, our, our beautiful field that you saw in the, in the video was done without pesticides or insecticides, without herbicides. We're doing natural farming. And to be able to get a field to look like that without using a lot of chemicals to control the weeds in that is a, a science. And that's something that we teach in our program. We do have some good agricultural courses in Acellus. If you're interested in that, you should take those classes. 
And if you find that you're really drawn to it and some of your interest in our program, you might want to consider coming here and studying at the Academy, and you can grow the einkorn for all of us. Yeah. Sound good? Yes. All right. Well, thank you all, and have a really wonderful holiday. Be safe. Be careful. Be wise. Okay? Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. Have a great one.